Well, good morning and welcome back to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. We are so thankful to have you here with us this morning as we come together in this virtual space and just spend some time praising our amazing God. Um, speaking of our amazing God, I'm so thankful to hear uh, that Ray and Kayan's son is doing so, so much better. That just goes to show you that our God truly is capable of doing miracles. Amen. Um, we are really excited about this service that we have coming up here in a couple of weeks. We're going to do our first outdoor service in two weeks on August the 16th um, here at the building at seven o'clock out in the parking lot. Uh, be sure to bring your chairs. Be sure to invite someone. Um, it's going to be a great opportunity for us to get together once again and be able to worship together as a church family. So I hope that you are looking forward to that. I know that I'm really looking forward to that, and uh, I hope to see a lot of you here on that Sunday night. Today, we are going to jump back into our series that we've been progressing through for quite some time now, so I appreciate you sticking with us through this series that we've been in about building resilient disciples. We're actually moving into the last phase, phase number five of this series. It'll be a two-parter, um, so today we're going to kind of build up to what next week will be our finale. So I want to encourage you to uh, not only hang in there with us today, but to join us again next week as we bring this series to a close. So as you can see on your screen today, we're talking about counterculture. And more specifically, we're talking about engaging in a countercultural mission. So we're going to unpack this just a little bit and talk a little bit about how this impacts you and me as we go about kind of our daily lives of being a Christian. So we're going to jump right in. I am excited about this lesson today, and we're going to open up with a piece of scripture from Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23. Again, this is Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If you turn there with me, it reads, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. See, we have to make a choice every single day. Are we going to live according to the world or are we going to literally take up our crosses every day and follow Jesus Christ? And that's a decision that I have to make every day and that's a decision that you have to make every day. And we choose, at least I hope we choose, every day that we're going to follow Jesus and live out his example and live to the best that we can to glorify God in everything that we say or do. But, but as you may already know, this runs contrary to what the world will tell you and what the world believes in. Because see, we live in a society where we say, hey, do whatever makes you feel good. Hey, do whatever you want. You be you. But see, that's not the life that we are called to live by Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. And, and this isn't a new concept by any means, but I think it's a good reminder for us that we're called to live counter to what the rest of culture is doing. And that's what we're going to unpack as we move forward today. So just a brief recap for you, um, in case you missed any of these or in case you haven't really been up to speed on what we've been working through for the last couple of months, um, we started off with experiencing Jesus. And that was all about building an actual relationship with Jesus. We followed that up with cultural discernment. And that was, how do we know exactly what it is that we are supposed to do and that we are called to do? We talked about meaningful intergenerational relationships. And this was all about how we are not called to live alone. We are called to live together as a church family, as a group of people who are working together to glorify God. Last week, we talked about vocational discipleship, and this was all about how do we make our workplace or the places that we go to often, how do we make that our mission field, and how do we truly begin to glorify God even at our place of business? 
And then today, as well as next Sunday, we're going to finish this up by talking about our countercultural mission. Now, definition, because I want to make sure that we're all on the same page on what exactly we're talking about when we say a countercultural mission. And what we're talking about is engaging in countercultural mission means living as a faithful presence by trusting God's power and living differently from the cultural norms. And again, this isn't, I don't think this is anything brand new for anybody, but I think it's really important that we remind ourselves of how important this is and look at some biblical examples of how to do that. Simply put, this is a way of life in Jesus that runs against the grain of the world. So that's just kind of our, our little bit more simpler put definition, but we're going against what the world is telling us and teaching us and teaching our children to do because that's not what Jesus calls us to do. Says the Christian community, when it is, excuse me, the Christian community, when it is most faithful, runs contrary to and is distinct from the systems and structures of power, sexuality, and money, among many other things. See, the world is kind of going down one path, and it's all about power and wealth and fame and fortune and things like that. But we're not called to do that. We're called instead to follow Jesus. And we talked a lot about that last week and how that looks from a vocational standpoint. But today we're going to look at, at what this looks like from a cultural standpoint. So let's turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. So again, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. And what we're looking at, again, is how our life runs against the grain, so to speak, of what the world is doing. Here we read, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It says, For the grace given by me, I say to every one of you, Do not Think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So I love what we read here in verse 2. Do not be conformed to the patterns of the world. And see, that's a pitfall. That's a pitfall that we as Christians tend to run into, right? Because it's much easier to go with the flow, right? It's much easier if you're swimming in a river. It's much easier to go downstream than it is to go upstream. But see, that's not the life that Jesus lived, and that's not the life that he calls us to live. He calls us to live against the flow, against the stream. And this is a great reminder in Romans, what Paul wrote, that we are to go against the stream, not with the stream. Because see, it's so easy to get wrapped up into this, right? With our coworkers and with our friends and, and other people who may be trying to take us down that stream, we have to remember that that's not what we're called to do, and we have to be constantly willing to fight against that. So when you hear this word mission, right, what comes to mind when you hear mission? You're going, hey, what are you talking about here? Does this mean I have to pack my bags and go to a foreign country? Does this mean that I have to uh, go and visit uh, different places in the United States? What does that mean to be on a mission, right? Because this is a term we use a lot, right? I'm on a mission to find the perfect tool. I'm on a mission to find the perfect pair of shoes, that's not, that's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about the mission that Jesus has for us. It says God is powerful, active, and intentional, and he wants his followers to, pay, to play a part in redeeming the world to himself. 
He wants us to play a part in redeeming the world. But the only way we can do that is if we go counter or go against what culture is doing. Because see, if we don't, we're not following God's perfect will for us. The God of the universe wants to be a part, wants us to be a part of his mission. See, how, how cool is that, that the creator of the universe wants you and me to be a part of this over-broad-reaching plan that he has for us. And he's using us in powerful ways to make a change in the world. But we truly have to be that light, be that change in the world. A little bit of a history lesson for you. So we're going to be spending some time today in the book of Titus. And, and Titus is a book that gets overlooked a lot, right? Because it's short, it's kind of short, sweet, and to the point. But it's a very powerful text when it comes to this idea of living a countercultural life. But you kind of have to understand what's going on in the background before you can really understand this book. Because, see, it's, it's one thing to read the book. It's another thing to understand who wrote it, who it was written for, and what was going on at the time that caused that author right, to write this letter. And that's very, very important for us. So let's take a look at some things. At this time, the Greek gods were highly revered in Crete. And this is where this, this letter was written to. Highly revered, and this is God little g, right? Because we know that if you've, if you've studied any Greek mythology, the Greeks had a lot of different gods. They had tons of different gods. Now, don't be confused. That's not the same as big G God, the God that we serve, the creator of the universe. This is little g gods. This is all the gods from Greek mythology. Now, Zeus was the most idolized god in Greek mythology. And most of you have probably heard about Zeus, and you may not know his story, but most of us have heard about this Greek god named Zeus. Now, he was a liar, and he was a manipulator, and he was a womanizer. Now, let's think about that. You think of those three traits, and yet he was idolized among the people in this time and place. Those aren't traits that we would typically think of as, hey, I'm going to really look up to that person because they're a liar, a cheater, and everything else. But yet at this time, they looked up to him. And that's one of the reasons that this letter is written, is to overcome the fact that, look, Zeus isn't the person you should be looking up to. Jesus Christ is the person you should be looking up to. And that's the purpose of this letter, or one of the purposes of this letter. When they learned of Jesus, so you got to remember, when they first learned of Jesus, when they first, the, the gospel was first shared with them, they're looking at Jesus and Zeus, and they're actually comparing the two. Now, to us, that seems a little bit ridiculous, because we know that there's no comparison between the two, but you got to remember time and place. When this book of Titus was written, Zeus would have been the person that they looked up to as opposed to Jesus. So now they're trying to figure out, well, how do these two work together? Or how is Jesus like Zeus or vice versa? And that's the reason that, that, that we're unpacking this in the book of Titus. Now, it's, under, it's important that you understand kind of the breakdown of the book. So you can kind of understand where we're going this morning. And you'll know as we, as we hit verses from different chapters, you'll kind of get where we're going here. Chapter 1 is talking about a new kind of leader. Because, see, Zeus isn't who they should be looking up to, and that's not the kind of leader that they should have. And that's not the kind of leaders that the church at this time needed. They needed strong, righteous men to rise up and to lead this church. Chapter 2 talks about a new kind of household, that everything has to change, even the home. And chapter 3 is a new kind of humanity. 
And that's basically just saying, look, we need to rise up and become a better people than what we've done in the past, or we're not going to fulfill the will of God. So let's jump in. Let's look at the first thing that we're looking at here today, and that's that Paul goes after the idea that a true God could be a lying God. So see, you got to remember, the people at this time, they thought Zeus was a real God, and Zeus was a liar and a manipulator and a womanizer. So Paul is going after that idea to say, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. So look at Titus chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. It says, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So Paul comes out swinging in the book of Titus, right? Right in the very beginning of the book, as soon as he introduces himself, which if you've ever read uh, the Pauline letters, you know that that's Paul's kind of MO. He starts off with, hey, this is Paul. I'm an apostle. And there was a couple of reasons for that. One, of course, was just an introduction because, see, letters or epistles back in this time are a little bit different than they are today. Today, we start off with, you know, hello, John Smith, and we end with our name. But Paul puts his name right up there in the front, and that's to let them know, look, this is who this is coming from as you get ready to read the remainder of this letter. And he reminds them that, hey, I'm an apostle. And that was kind of just Paul's way of saying, look, you need to listen to this. This is my form of authority, so to speak, that this is an inspired word. So he goes on to say right there in verse 2, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie. This gives us a great insight to what's going on at this time and place again. And because they're, 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 they're using Jesus Christ and Zeus and comparing the two, Paul is saying right off the bat, no, 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 no. A true God is not a lying God. And I want you to think about that. We serve a God who not only created the universe, but he doesn't lie. Now, why is that important to us? Because as we think through this whole idea of Christianity, and when we think through this idea that Jesus Christ came and lived and died for the forgiveness of our sins, so that one day we might go to heaven, it's kind of important, right, that God doesn't lie. Because we know that the promises that he has made to us of eternal life are real, and they're true. And Paul reminds us of this right up front. A true God doesn't lie. Let's jump ahead to verse 3. It says, And which now, at his appointed season, it says, He has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the, <coughs> excuse me, by the command of God our Savior. It says, To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. You see, God cannot... And God will not lie because that's his true nature. That is the nature of the God that we serve. And see, that's what set him apart to these people in Crete, that he was the true and living God because he wasn't the lying, manipulating, womanizing God such as Zeus. And Paul is trying to make that distinction right up front. The second one is that Paul challenges this idea that man could become God by showing how Jesus was with God from the beginning 
and became man for our sake. See, back in the idea of Greek mythology or back in this time frame, a person such as Zeus could become a god. So a man could become God or a god in this case, not our god. But we know from our Bible background and from our history that that's not the way that our God came about. See, he actually became a man. God becoming man, not man becoming God. It says, if God the Father and Jesus the Son are both, are the same God and Savior of the Cretans, then Jesus is God. So see, he's trying to explain this to them in a way that they can understand it. And we know from John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, God was God from the beginning. And I know that sounds a little bit redundant, but it's true. We know from the book of John that God was there from the very beginning. He wasn't a man who all of a sudden became a God like Zeus. He was God who then later on came down to live as a man for our sakes. So he, again, Paul is, is, is attacking these ideas that the Cretans had. He's saying, look, no, this is not the way this works. Men don't become God. God became a man. So here's the problem. The people on Crete were such a lying, self-indulgent, sexually promiscuous bunch that Crete became proverbial for immortality immorality, excuse me, in the ancient world. You still hear today people refer to someone as a Cretan. And maybe you've thought about that before, but you've never really put it together. He's establishing, Paul's establishing the church in this place that is just off the charts, immoral and wrong and sinful by nature. So, so he's got his work cut out for him. He's got to go against all of these things that they believe and try to convince them not only to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but to live a whole brand new life. And he's calling the Christians there to be different. Being a follower of Jesus means progressively, one step at a time, transforming into his image, not the image of the deity of the day. So again, this is referring back to this idea of Greek mythology, that each day they needed to take a step away from the deities that they'd been following and take a step towards Jesus Christ. It's just like what we do as we go on our walk with Jesus, right? We like to talk about our walk with Jesus. And it starts from the time that we believe in Jesus and we hear and we repent and we're baptized and then we live faithfully and it's a process and it's a step. And that's exactly what he's trying to say in the book of Titus is you got to start taking those steps away from these other gods, little g gods, and towards the real one true and living God. Why would people reject Zeus in favor of Jesus if there were no compelling evidence of transformation in the lives of Jesus' followers? This, this hits me like a ton of bricks when I hear this. Because I think of today, some 2,000 and some years later on, and look around us. Look around at what's going on in the world today. The same things that were going on in Crete. Power hungry, sexually immoral, you name it. They were experiencing it then, and we're experiencing it now. So if these people 
in this early church in Crete weren't going to do something to set themselves apart, then why would anybody reject Zeus and go for Jesus or go after Jesus or follow Jesus? It's the same thing. It's the same thing for us today. If we're not doing something that attracts people who are not Jesus followers to be Jesus followers, then why would they turn away from the things that they're doing and why would they turn away from the world? Why would they act counter-culturally if they don't see something in me and you that makes them go, I want that in my life. I need that in my life. We've got to be that example. We've got to be that light for them because if we don't, there's no reason for people to turn away from the lives that they're living and follow Jesus. We've got to be that person that, said, that shows them that a life in Christ is better than a life outside of Christ. That's our job. That's what this whole idea of building resilient disciples that we've been talking about for months now is all about. We've got to build disciples. And if we're not living a life that makes them want to be more like Jesus, then we're not truly building resilient disciples. If you want to be better at something, you go to someone who's better than you. If you want to learn to be a better hitter in baseball, you go to somebody who's a better hitter. We got to be that better hitter. We got to be that resilient disciple that others see something in and say, I want that in my life. They're being instructed to live in a way that made Jesus compelling to the watching world. This is really what the book of Titus is all about. It's all about being different. It's all about living counter-culturally. It's all about letting them see something that they're not already seeing. So we're going to pick up in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. So Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And that reads, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Verse 12, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. You guys can probably remember way back when there used to be a, an anti-drug campaign that was just say no. Well, that's exactly what Paul is saying to the church in Crete. Just say no to all of that wickedness and all of that unrighteousness that's going on in your culture right now and follow Jesus. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 13 now, we're going to pick up where we left off. It says, While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I, I love that last part, eager to do what is good. Brothers and sisters, are we eager to do the word of God? Or do we do it begrudgingly? Do we do it because, ah, oh, this is what I have to do? 
I have to do this because this is what my parents tell me I have to do. This is what my grandparents tell me I have to do. Or are we eager to do the work that the Lord has provided for us? Are we eager to share Jesus Christ with others? Are we eager to set ourselves apart from the culture around us? And that's exactly what he's talking about that was going on in Crete. And I, and I, and I urge you to consider that that's what's going on today as well. The followers of Jesus were to be ideal citizens, peaceable, just, and obedient to the authorities. So the question is how? How do we act in a manner that is counter-cultural to everything that's going on around us and all of the pressures that are around us and all of the different things that are going on around us? And the answer is it's impossible if, we're not, if it were not for the appearance of the grace and the loving kindness of God in the person and work of Jesus. So the answer is Jesus. Right? We joke around in youth group because anytime I ask a question, at least one person, if they don't know the answer, they always say, Jesus. But in this case, the answer is Jesus. As it is with most of the problems that we have. The answer is Jesus. We can do this through the power of Jesus. We can go against culture because we have Jesus, and he gives us the strength and the power to do so. We know what the Bible says, that we'll not be tempted beyond that we can withstand through the power of Jesus. So let's look at some more scripture here in Titus as as we get ready to uh, come to a close. We're going to pick up in Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 4 and 5. It says, But when the kingdom... And the love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Picking up in verse 6, it reads, When he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, It says, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become the heirs having the hope of eternal life. So we see again, it's not through our power. It's not through our righteousness that we're saved. We're saved because of Jesus Christ. And that's the same power that allows us to act counter to what our culture is telling us to do. Counterculturally, not through our own power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ himself. And he gives you that power. And that gives us hope and encouragement because we have that power of Jesus in our lives that allows us to overcome the things of the world. But we have to rely on him to get us through. Okay, so I want to share a quote with you. Um, And this is a quote that I really love, and it's from N.T. Wright. And it says, The church should be a small working model of a new creation. The church should be a small working model of the new creation. Think about that. Are we a small working model of the new creation that people can look at us and say, yes, that's what it should look like? Do we treat each other in a way that makes other people see us and go, yes, that's what I want in my life? Because see, that's exactly what N.T. Wright is talking about. Are we living that out in a counter 
cultural way? Is our church a small working model of what the big picture should look like that we can then expand from there? That's what I want to challenge you with here this morning. So where do we go from here? Here's our takeaways from this morning. It says, through the saving work of Jesus and the empowerment of the Spirit, people really can change. See, these people in Crete, right, were basically doing everything counter to what Jesus was teaching and saying. But through the work of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, they're able to make that change in their lives. It says the gospel is powerful enough to transform someone into a new creation who then becomes an agent of change within the culture. See, when we bring Jesus into our lives through the Holy Spirit and we truly make a change, then we can be an agent of change for other people. And that's how we build resilient disciples. And that's this whole concept that we've been talking about now for weeks is making disciples. And we do that because we invite Jesus into our hearts. We truly make a change in the life that we're living. And then we spread that to other people. Next week, we'll pick up right here where we're leaving off today, and we'll finish off this, this lesson, this two-part lesson on counterculture. And we're also going to wrap up and put a bow on this whole idea of building resilient disciples. In just a moment, we're going to have another song. It'll give you a chance to kind of reflect on the lesson. And if you, there's anything at all that we can help you with, if you're in need of prayer, if you've never been baptized to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and for the remission of your sins, please don't hesitate to reach out to us here at the church. Uh, even through this pandemic, we are still here for you. We can still pray for you. We can still work with you and talk with you. And if you need to be baptized, we can certainly do that for you as well. So wherever you may be this morning, I want to invite you to stand together as we sing this last song. Lord, reign in me. So thank you so much for sticking with us. Uh, I do appreciate that. And again, mark on your calendars in two Sundays on the 16th at 7 o'clock. We'll have a live outdoor service, and we hope to see you there. Would you please join me in a word of closing prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this technology that we have that allows us to still come together to worship the one true and living God. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'll be with our church family this morning, wherever they may be and wherever they may be from, that you will just continue to guide them, to continue to keep them safe, and continue to bless them. Most of all, Heavenly Father, as we get ready to go our separate ways, help us to act in a manner that would be counter-cultural to what the world is doing. Help us to continue to follow you and to shine a light on you and to lead others to you, Heavenly Father. And again, thank you so much for sending your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that you'll join us for our midweek services this week. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high, hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name.
Wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name. It is. 